0: have the second trimester notes lesson four that says understanding delegated authority we've been using this entire 10 weeks to talk about authority uh, watchman Nee said it was the controversy of the universe and indeed I think it was and is um, and we're moving along talking about concepts I hope laying a foundation and again this lesson and as well as the ones that are coming, we hope to answer every question you may have because I know there are lots of questions that can begin to happen in this area. I want to read to you um, First Peter uh, chapter 2. I know there's lots of scripture at the top of your page and uh, we will get to a number of those passages, but we'll get to them in the lesson. But in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13, I want to read this as our springboard as we get into all of this. You know, Mark Twain once said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. He said, it's the things that I do understand that bother me. And uh, there are some passages that can downright bother you. So 1 Peter 2.13, these are the words we read. It says, therefore, submit yourselves, who potasso it means to come under, to line up under. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now just ponder that for a minute. Don't read by it real quick. Ponder that for just a minute. Does that not make your brain go tilt? Because I can tell you there's lots of ordinances of man that I think are just stupid. Sometimes I think 70 miles an hour on the interstate is just dumb. Because I need to get somewhere in a hurry. Well, you know, Trey shared last week, think of all the things that we're confronted with. And how many of you know? How many of you know 10 or less in a grocery line? Why can't I bring 11? I mean, that just seems dumb. I can't bring one more. There are just some things from man that just seem dumb. Every time I do my taxes, I can find all sorts of dumb things. Like those of you that do your own schedule SE, your social security, do you know, why don't they just make you times that by 0. .153 instead of breaking it up into three different things because they think they're fooling you that you can't add up what you're doing. And I look at that and say, that's stupid. Just just charge me 15, you know, 0. .3% and we'll be fine. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for, for the praise of those who do good. And so we're needing to talk now more explicitly about delegated authority. God, as we've mentioned, is the source of all authority in the universe. Somehow, in some way, all governing authorities, the scripture says, are instituted by him. That's what the scripture says. It says that kings are raised up and they are set down. Promotion cometh neither from the east or the west or the north or the south, but from God alone. He's the one who exalts one and sets down another. And I understand when you look at dictators and you look at uh, certain leaders that we have had, and, and we can find all sorts of things that would make us scratch our head and say to ourselves, are you telling me God's in that? I'm telling you somehow, some way, God's in it. Even when the children of Israel cried out for a king, God looked at them and said, you're going to rue the day you cried out for a king, but I'll give you what you all want. And he gave them what they wanted, and then they didn't like what they got. And you understand God was in that. And sometimes our leaders are a reflection of more what's going on in our life, and we'll mention that, than, than coming to us in order to bring harm or hurt. Um, so all governing authorities are instituted by him and are required, the authorities are required, whether they know it or not, to represent his authority. Now, again, I understand who, who, who is in authority, really, the vast majority of people really understand when you're in authority, you are really representing the nature and the character of God. and it doesn't matter where you may be in authority. You may be, you may be a, a uh, 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 what do they a supervisor in a secular job and you're there representing the character of God if you're in authority. And, and so we will turn the coin and we're going to talk about the responsibilities of authority. But we need to understand first before we get there that God himself has established authority in order to reveal himself. So whenever people encounter authority, they are encountering God at some level. Now this takes great, everyone say great. Great. This takes great revelation. Great revelation to see this. Now, let me just tell you something. This is, uh, and I'm going to be jumping a little bit here and there. Do you remember the Roman centurion that came to Jesus seeking him to heal his servant? And, and, And Jesus said, I'll come and do this thing. But the Roman centurion said no. And he instantly demonstrates his knowledge of authority. He says, I understand how authority works. I'm over men, and if I say, come here or go there, they will do it because of my authority. All you have to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, do you understand a Roman centurion? It wasn't one of God's people. It was a Roman centurion whom Jesus, then it says, marveled and said, great faith. I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. It takes great faith to look at a leader, an authority, your boss, a police officer, a judge, a minister, a teacher. Let me go down the list of all the authorities that you could run into in your life. It takes great revelation and great faith to stop for just a moment and say, God is at work here somehow. It just just does. Now, it's possible for us as human beings to know God through his presence, but even if this manifest presence is not there, we can still know God through authority. Again, the primary objection to this is when we deal with poor or evil authority. And I just hang on, we're going to get to that. Listen to here number two. Before we can be wise enough to assume that we can readily identify poor authority we must first be wise enough to identify our own rebellion. Before you presume to know who a poor authority is, let me just suggest you just call time out to that and let's deal with this house first, okay? We got to identify our own rebellion, our own lack of revelation, our own lack of submission in our own heart. You can't judge your authority until you have accurately judged your own heart. Because sometimes we think poor authority is poor because they're asking us to do something that we don't want to do, and it's making our flesh crawl. And so because we're, we're just saying, I don't want to do what they say, and we're in rebellion, instead of owning up to our own rebellion, we'll just say, well, they're just harsh, or they're just hard, or they're just controlling. And the issue isn't them, is it? Huh, the issue is you and me. All right, I'm, I'm in this too. Now, I'm going to read something to you here. I, I, I don't normally do this. But if you haven't got this book, this will be the best 10 books you've 10 bucks you've ever spent. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. It has nothing to do with Christmas. All right? A Tale of Three Kings. If I had five books that I had to take to a deserted island and I would never be able to take another book, one would obviously be the Bible, but this would be one of them. I'm just telling you, you will never regret buying this book. Listen to this. It's about Saul and David. We all know the story of Saul and David. And um, it's in the middle of this question about Saul and David and what's David supposed to do as Saul's chasing him, trying to kill him. And uh, here's what it says. It says, uh, I'm in David's situation. I'm in agony. What do I do when the kingdom I'm in is ruled by a spear-wielding king? Should I leave? If so, how? Just what does a man do in the middle of a knife-throwing contest? Well, if you didn't like the question you found in the last chapter, you probably won't like the answer found in this one. The answer is, you get stabbed to death. Well, what is the necessity of that? What's the good of that? You have your eyes on the wrong King Saul. As long as you look at your king, you will blame him and him alone for your present hell. Be careful, for God has his eyes fastened sharply on another King Saul. Not the visible one standing up there throwing spears at you. No, God is looking at another King Saul, one just as bad or worse. God is looking at the King Saul in you. In me, yes. Saul is in your bloodstream, in the marrow of your bones. He makes up the very flesh and muscle of your heart. He is mixed into your soul. He inhabits the nuclei of your atoms. King Saul is in you. You are King Saul. He breathes in the lungs and beats in the breast of us all. There is only one way to get rid of him. He must be annihilated. You may not particularly find this to be a compliment, but at least now you know why God put you under someone who just might be King Saul. David the sheepherder would have grown up to become King Saul II, except that God cut away the Saul inside David's heart. The operation, by the way, took years. It was a brutalizing experience. And what were the scalpel and tongs God used to remove this inner Saul? In all of our hearts, God used an outer Saul. King Saul sought to destroy David, but his only success was that he became the handmaiden of God to put to death the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. Yes, it is true that David was... Virtually destroyed in the process, but this had to be. Otherwise, the Saul in him would have survived. David accepted this fate. He embraced the circumstances. He lifted no hand. He offered no resistance, nor did he grandstand his piety. Silently, privately, he bore the crucible. Because of this, he was wounded. His whole inner being was crucified. His personality was altered. And when it was over, David, 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 was barely recognizable. So if you weren't satisfied with the question in the last chapter, then you probably didn't like the answer in this one either. None of us do, except God. <clears throat> what Edwards was saying here was this, and that, that sometimes we're put into these circumstances because God's trying to do an operation in our own heart. And uh, I, I also wanna mention, just as we're here, that if you find yourself as a delegated authority, and this is always important to remind those who are in authority, we represent God's authority. We do not replace the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right? So we, gotta keep, we just keep that in mind. We represent God's authority. We don't replace the Holy Spirit. But be careful because most people really don't understand that statement. That's why when they come up to authority, they instantly say, well, God told me something else. Well, cool, go do it. Who am I to argue with God? When someone comes up to me and says, God says, the first thing I say in my mind is, well, go after it. If he told, if he told you, who am I to argue with God? Go for it. Well, I want your counsel. Well, why? You said God said. Well, well, I, well maybe you should have said, I think God is saying. I'm just helping you, okay? Because, because I'm not the Holy Spirit, all right? And we represent God's authority. We don't replace the Holy Spirit. Now, today, there are three ways we encounter God. We can encounter him by his presence, uh, mostly to those in the church who live in the Spirit and seek his face. We all know when the presence of God comes and we encounter him. Secondly, we encounter God by his commands in the scripture. Um, Anytime, let me just share this. Anytime you read this book, you're encountering God. You understand that. Anytime we read it and we hear his word out of this, we are encountering God through his word, all right? In fact, in fact, this will not violate the first one. The first one, his presence, tends to be subjective. This is objective. So all subjective things are measured by the objective standard, all right? That's why we call this the canon, not, not that it's a gun and goes, but canon in the Latin meant measuring, rule, stick. So... That's another way we encounter God. And the third way we encounter God is through delegated authority, the rulers around us who are established by his sovereign choosing. Now, men and women should obey Delegated authority. We've already read to you Romans 13 1 through 5 that talks about all governing authorities that are put in place are put there by God and for God judges police teachers bosses pastors rulers managers supervisors you know you know grocery store managers. I mean wherever you are you should be looking for authority and since they're established by God I understand they may not know it no one else may get it they may be terrible but they are meant to God says because he's established it, they're meant to be obeyed. If we only know God's direct authority, it is possible that we are violating and in rebellion a good portion of our life. Now, now again, you know, when God says, you know, that, that he has established delegated authority, and we decide that, that because we hear from God so well that we can just trump everything, then most of the time we're in rebellion. Because in America, we tend to pick and choose who we grant authority to. And the interesting thing in America is not only do we pick and choose who we grant authority to, we pick and choose at what moment we want. We switch. I like this, I don't like that. A- and I wrote down here, is, is there a place... Um, there is a place that one can spiritually discern who is a righteous authority and whether we should submit. However, few can explain how this is done scripturally. Paul exhorts us to submit ourselves and warns us against resisting. Again, we're going to be teaching about, well, what happens if, I, if, if, if it's just wrong? If, we're we're going to get there. We can't, we can't get to appealing. How do I appeal properly or how do I, how do I present things properly? Or how do, I, how do I question? If I have questions, do I not have a right to ask a question? Well, sure you have a right to ask a question. But for most of us, we ask questions with the spirit of offense or we ask questions with the spirit of, of just being mm, twisted. Or, and, and, we, and you know what? You have to have a right spirit. Amen? Even if your authority has a wrong spirit, we still have to have a right spirit. Because to resist authority is to resist God. Anytime there's rebellion, its consequence is always some form of judgment. And can I just share this with you? The reason, I mean, God isn't going to come like this and just, you know, I understand you're not an outbroken sin, and, and but yet because the, the way the American psyche works and there's so many areas that we're constantly in rebellion to with regards to delegated authority, God, this is what God does, I think, in most of our lives. He works in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, where it says, Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And for most of us, when, when, when we, let's just say we're an employee, and we're, and we're not just really an easy employee in the company were, we're participating in. Now you may not recognize that. You may think, you may think the whole world should stop for you and you're a stellar employee. But maybe, maybe beyond what you may understand, others might consider you not to be as good of an employee. And, and so finally the day comes where you've whined, complained, and said, If only I were the boss, I'd do it so much better. If I had my own company, I'd do so much better. And finally, God says, All right, I'm gonna prosper you and I'm gonna let you have your own company. Then you know what he does? He gives you employees just like you. That's how he does it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You ought to talk to connect leaders here in the church. I mean, I don't mean it's bad. I mean, I, this is just the way it works. It worked the same way for me. I mean, there were many a times that I would whisper and mutter under my breath, oh, if I were the pastor, I'd do it this way or I'd do it this way. So God let me be a pastor and he gave me me. That's how it works. That's how it works for all of you. It's why, why is it when, when, when we're teenagers, we don't get this when we're teenagers, and that's why when we become parents, what do we get? We, we get kids that were like us. See, what a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's always a consequence to Rebellion. Now, although rulers of nations do not believe in God and their countries are under the dominion of Satan, the principle of authority does not change. When Moses led Israel out of Pharaoh's wicked rule, get ready, just put your seatbelt on. We're going to blow your mind right here. When Moses led Israel out of Pharaoh's wicked rule, he reminded them in Exodus uh, 22 and uh, 28. I'm trying to find it here. It says, do not revile a ruler. So imagine you're under Pharaoh's unrighteous judgment for 400 years. Think about all the things Pharaoh did. Think about the last Pharaoh who made you make bricks without straw. He cut back... On your food and your provisions. He did everything he could to make life miserable for you. And you're walking, and God vindicates you. You're walking out of Egypt. You're carrying the gold and the silver and everything out of Egypt with you. And don't you know that there was probably this song that was being sung in the ranks of the Israelites going, na 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 na, na 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. Can you imagine? Sure. Because you'd just been vindicated, you'd been abused and used and now God's vindicating you and now you're walking out with all the stuff. God has done his thing and you're walking out and the Lord through Moses looks at the people and says, you don't revile a ruler. I'm just going to share this with you. If we're going to have a voice in our country, we better start calling our president, President Obama. I tell you, I think God's called me to this. That doesn't mean we agree with everything. I didn't agree with everything our last president. There hadn't been many presidents I've agreed with on everything. But can I just tell you this? We better get it in our spirit that if we're going to revile, there's going to be a price that we'll pay. Listen, I want a voice to speak to this culture. I want a voice to speak to authorities, I want a voice to speak to those that rule in nations, but we're gonna to have to get this. Moses said, I know he was a bad Pharaoh, but don't you revile a ruler. The Bible tells us that David could not lift a sword against Saul, now think about it, this is the dude that's throwing spears at him, trying to kill him, and despite, despite Saul trying to kill David, when the time came and they finally won over Saul and his armies, there was a young man who against really David's orders killed Saul, And the Bible says that when David found it out, now you would have thought he'd have been happy that his enemy had been disposed of, but David killed the man who killed Saul. Why? Because God said you do not touch. God's anointed. See, but he was bad. He was doing everybody a favor. Doesn't matter. You're not God. I mentioned to you before how Daniel honored the king. Daniel would not uh, uh, yield in his prayer life, to praying to demon gods and false gods. And so you'll recall that the king put him, Darius put him in the lion's den. And there he is in the lion's den. And so David spends all night in the lion's den. And God sends an angel, shuts the mouth of the lions, and Daniel is vindicated. And so Darius comes the next day and looks into the pit. You've heard me teach this before. And think about this. You've been thrown unrighteously in the lion's den. Somebody manipulated the king in order to get you there. You were abused, you were used, it wasn't right, it was unjust, it was unfair, you shouldn't have been in the lion's den, but God vindicates you, isn't that cool? And now the king shows up, who's the one that tossed you in there. And he's looking at it, and all of a sudden there you are looking up at the king, and what would be the first words out of your mouth? I've said this before, for most of us, This is what we do. We'd say, God's going to get you now. You rascal. If, If you could muster up a rascal. But you know what? You know what Daniel said? The first words out of Daniel's mouth, think about this. He said, long live the king. Does that not blow your mind? Long live the king. Jesus said to render unto Caesar what Caesar's. A Christian obeys laws because we're under authority. The only exception to this, and again, we'll talk more about this, is when a law or an instruction violates the word of God. Daniel's the perfect example. He was told that he had to pray to a false god. Well, we know we can't pray to false gods, right? The Lord says there'll be no other god before him, so we know we can't pray to false gods. So this violates God's standard. And so Acts 5.29 kicks into gear which is the story of how the disciples were before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin told them that they could no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John looked at them and said these words, we must obey God rather than man. Now hear me, we use that phrase, but we got to use that phrase right. You're being asked to do something that violates his word. They weren't being asked to do something that was simply a difference of opinion. Are you following me? Even in disobedience, a Christian is required to function and act in a prescribed biblical way. Most of the time, our problem is self-will. 2 Peter 2, verse 10, 2 Peter 2 and 10, I think in your notes it might say verse 6, but it's actually verse 10. It says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority... They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. There is much anarchy in our world, and unfortunately much of what we think of as personal liberty and freedom in the church is oftentimes anarchy and rebellion to those who are in authority. And it's interesting to me that authority even works in the spirit realm. In Jude verse 9, let me see if I can find that. Jude verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the lord rebuke you so isn't that not interesting even as as an archangel is dealing with satan there was an understanding of authority even in the spirit realm if you ever get a revelation of delegated authority you'll begin to see it at work everywhere wherever you go your first question will always be whom should i obey and to whom should i listen who's in charge A Christian should have as their two greatest sensitivities a sense of sin. In other words, you know, we ought to be sensitive to evil things and whether or not there's sin and temptation, we should have a sensitivity to that. But the second greatest sensitivity, I think, is a sense of authority. You know, once you get revelation of this, there's nowhere you'll go that you won't start thinking about this. I I think about it everywhere I go. I think about it if I visit another church. I think about it. If uh, I'm walking into a business area, I think about it in the grocery store. I think about it everywhere we go. How does authority work here? And when you begin to function under authority, you're going to begin to see that God can begin to lose so many more blessings in your direction. In Acts chapter 15, there was a council meeting because they were fussing with each other over the issue of circumcision. Now, here was the deal. In Acts chapter 15, there was this great big church fight that was going on because you'd had Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was the place where the Holy Spirit fell, and and that's where the church originally arose from. And the original church, by and large, was Jewish. In fact, we'll see in the early chapters of the book of Acts, you'll actually see the disciples, the Bible says, in Acts chapter 3, it says that they were going to temple, and that was when they saw the man at the temple gate, and that's when they healed the lame man. But they were literally going to temple in Acts chapter 3. And the early church there in Jerusalem were still doing Jewish things while they were practicing Christians. So they would still go to temple and do what they knew to do as Jews, but then they would also meet at Solomon's portico, the scripture says, where I'm sure they had meetings, which we would define as Christian meetings. And then the Bible says that they would meet from house to house and and, and they would uh, gather and hear the apostles' doctrine, and, and they would be taught there as well. But what happened was they became ingrown, and they didn't break forth out of Jerusalem, and so what God did was is he poured his spirit out in Antioch. And there in the early chapters of the book of Acts, we see the spirit descending on the church at Antioch, and Antioch was a Gentile place. I mean, there were no Jews there. And so these Antiochian Christians had no conception of Jewish tradition, and so when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they just started doing church, so to speak, and they weren't doing anything Jewish, and there arose this kind of heated discussion because the the leaders in Jerusalem didn't know what to think about what was going on in Antioch, and so they sent Barnabas down there in order to kind of spy it out and figure out what was going on, and Barnabas came back, and he said, hey, listen, this is of God. This is a true work, and, and we need to bless it and call them brothers, and so they did for a while. But then the discussion came up that said, okay, you know, we can live with some of this stuff, but there's some stuff we don't know about. And a big heated discussion uh, started over the issue of circumcision. Because in the old covenant, circumcision represented really one's covenant before God. It was a significant ritual and rite uh, for men within the Jewish culture. And this big question came about that if they were the seed of Abraham too, then they needed a covenant mark. And so, so they would argue this thing. And, and there were many who were saying that in order uh, for them to be valid Christians, that they had to go ahead and get circumcised. And, and what the question birthed out of that was, then do they have to become Jews before they can become Christians? And that was the question of circumcision. Must they be circumcised before they can even be considered valid Christians? valid Christians, and it caused a real church fuss. And so they gather up all the apostles and all the leaders, and they gather in Jerusalem, and they go behind closed doors. And we don't know to this day exactly what was said behind those closed doors. Personally, I believe the book of Galatians was really the transcript of the Council of Jerusalem because it was there that Paul said, I rebuked Peter to his face over some of this stuff. But we don't know exactly but what we do know is this, that Paul was there and Peter was there and, and all these high power apostles were there. But the Bible tells us that whatever happened behind closed doors, that when they walked out, it was James who spoke. Now think about this, it wasn't Paul that spoke, it wasn't Peter that spoke, it was James that spoke. Why would James have spoke? James seemed to be so much lesser than the rest, especially when you had a Paul or a Peter or a Barnabas. Why was, why was James put out front. It's because James was the set one. He was what we would call the senior pastor at the church of Jerusalem. And so he got input from all these other people. But when it came time to make a decision, after this input came to him, he steps out and he says, men and brethren, we consider it to be good to us and good to the Holy Spirit that we receive these Gentiles into the church just as they are. Amen. Isn't that good? Hey, I got an amen back there. Amen. All right? Now think about that. But they had to submit. They submitted to the delegated authority that was James. Now, I want you really to think about this. As fearlessly as all of us have functioned in lawlessness, isn't it true for some of you? Now, I know some of you grew up in the church and you got saved early in your life and, and, and you've lived. Ostensibly a, a fairly scarred-free life, and praise God that that's your testimony, and be glad for it. For some of us, we don't have that testimony. We were wayward. We were lawless. We were in rebellion. And I don't know about you, but when I live for the devil, I live for him. I mean, I just, I just sinned hard. And and as fearlessly as we once functioned in lawlessness, I think we should as fearlessly be subject to delegated authority. Think about the risk God has taken in instituting delegated authority. There is incredible judgment and repercussion if a delegated authority misrepresents the authority of God. I told you the story already of Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock, and it kept him out of his destiny. I want to remind you all of this, that leaders, you may think they get away with things because they're leaders, but I will assure you that there will be a moment god will catch up with them and even with leaders god is slow and patient not willing that any should perish but that all would come to repentance just as he is with you i've had to remind myself i want god to be patient with me how many of you want god to be patient with you i I really i want him to be patient with me believe me well if we want him patient for us he's going to be patient with others too all right he's going to be patient with leaders going to be patient with people that don't have a clue they're clueless they don't know how to connect the dots they he's going to be patient and yet knowing all of this god sets up those authorities can we not obey them without apprehension since god himself has not been afraid to entrust authority to men people always argue they say well what if they're wrong well if it's unscriptural i'm going to teach you what to do when they're wrong but if it's your opinion and you're under authority, then why don't you humble yourself? See, we all think we're humble, and we are. We'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. If God speaks to me, I'll humble it. But let me tell you, you'll really find out if you're humble if you can yield to someone that God's put in authority. That's when you find out whether you're humble or not. You never, we've said this for years, you never know whether you're submitted or not until someone looks at you and says, no, you can't. You can run around and say you're under authority, you're submitted, you're all this, but until someone looks you in the eye and says, you can't do that, we'll find out then where your heart is, all right? The Lord will not hold us, listen, responsible for any mistake that is made in attempting to be obedient. You need to underline that. Let's say, let's say Pastor Rod calls me up and asks something of me and I just think he's out to lunch, but I'm under authority. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't run through your mind. I'm just saying I'm under authority. Okay, yes, sir. I want to be responsive to you, and we're going to do that. And let's just say it turns out he was wrong just for the sake of argument. That's what happens. God is not going to hold me responsible for being obedient to one who is in authority in my life. I I used to listen, and it used to drive me crazy when um, back in the days with Baker and Swagger and all these people, and the world would get a hold of this stuff, and the world just delights, you know, and just spinning this stuff and talking about this stuff and, uh, 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 you know, uh, uncovering hypocrisies and all the rest, and I used to hear this with Baker. And and they used to say, think of all those, think of all those widow women, and think of all those single people and poor people that sent all their money to him, and and they just go on and, on and on and on and on. And that's just not right. And that's this, and that's that. And I thought to myself, well, if those people were sending their money to Jim Baker, then they probably are in trouble. But if they lose their money to God and were obedient to that which God was saying, and they looked to Him for spiritual oversight, then you know what? God's not going to hold them responsible, and He's still going to bless them, and He's still going to multiply things back to them because they weren't doing it as unto man they were doing it as unto God see when, ladies listen to me I know your husband should love you like Christ loved the church and, and I will pound them on that but at the same time it says wives submit yourselves to your husbands as what unto the Lord do you understand that when you're when you're being responsive to your husband and he's, even if he's a knucklehead and we are guilty <laughs> I got another witness back there. Guilty. Listen, sometimes I know we can be guilty. We are. We're knuckleheads sometimes. But listen to me. You're not. You're not being responsive to just the flesh. It is as unto the Lord. And you say, well, what if he leads me to a place that causes a crash or wreck? Listen to me. God will still bless you because it's as unto the Lord. Now, hear me everybody's got to do their 100% men you still got to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it and women you still got to submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord and it all works better if everybody's given 100% if somebody's only given 10% you I know it's easy to be able to say well they're only given 10% then why should I give anything more than 10% it's because you're now in rebellion too He's in rebellion or she's in rebellion. Listen, I'm going to stand before God and God isn't going to ask me whether or not, you know, Tracy submitted herself as she should have. And, and I'm not going to be able to look at him and say, well, Lord, if you'd have given me a better wife that would have submitted more, I could have done my part of Ephesians 5.25. God's going to say, shut up, you knucklehead. I don't care. You are in covenant. It's who I gave you and you are supposed to do 100% of what that verse says. Because it's as unto the, it's not because of her or because of him. It's because of him. When your boss comes in, and I know there's, I've been a boss. I've done knuckleheaded things to employees. I'm guilty. But it's it's unto the Lord. It's unto the Lord. Come on, your obedience is not unto man. It's unto the Lord. God will hold all those delegated authorities responsible for their erroneous acts. I'm just telling you, I have yet to meet a pastor who is, let's say, in sin or doing something off the wall or crazy. They always get caught. Now, I guarantee you, it isn't on your time frame because God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But remember, it's not about them yet. It's first about you. You need to be careful about any insubordination and in how you justify it and how you rationalize it. There's a great parable, both in Luke 20, beginning with verse 9. It's in Mark 12 as well. And, and I'm just going to real quickly go through this. Um, in the parable, oh, let me just, maybe it would be better if I read it to you. If I explained it, I just should have read it to you. Okay, Luke 20, verse 9, it says, He began to tell the people a parable. He said, A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now, it says, At vintage time or harvest time, he sent a servant to the vine dresser that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Now, again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, Well, what shall I do? I know, I'll send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Now, it's an easy parable. Who? Let's just do a little interpretation here. The certain man planted a vineyard and then he went into a far country. Who is that certain man that planted a vineyard and went away for a while? That's God. Good. Good, good, good. Now, now we would know then the son, the last one would be who? Jesus. Very good. Now, who are all these people that are coming in between you know, him going to a far country and the son showing up. He says he's sending people there. Who are those people? Who could they be? Could be prophets, could be servants of the Lord. But let me ask you this question. When he sent those servants, prophets or other people to deal with those who are in the vineyard, can I just ask this question to you? Was God sending his authority with them? And when they killed him, killed them or, or, or uh, abused them or, or ignored them, then really, truthfully, they were ignoring God himself. Is that not true? You see, in God's view, those who rejected those delegated authorities rejected him. You see, it's impossible for us to say we hear from God but then refuse to hear the words of those who may be our authority or his authority in our lives. It could be said with almost certainty that God has given a lot, if not most, of his authority to delegated men and women. And again, it doesn't require much humility to say you're obedient to God's direct authority, but it does demand great humility and brokenness to find yourself underneath delegated authority. In fact, it's so serious that if one offends it, he's literally according to that parable, he's at odds with God. The first thing God told Paul to do after his conversion, I want you to think about this. He's on the horse, remember, he's on the road to Damascus. The bright shining light Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse. And you know what one of the statements in there to Paul is, he says, it's, it's, it's hard to kick against the goads. And what that verse in the King James version literally means is it's 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 hard to rail against authority and the first thing God does with Paul is that he sends him to this little obscure guy by the name of Ananias the Lord put Paul under Ananias Ananias was just this everyday ordinary I think he might have been a carpenter or he just, he just was an agrarian sort, I'm sure. And Paul, who'd been to the best rabbinical schools of his day, Paul, who was the Pharisee of a Pharisee, Paul, who knew the Scripture by heart, Paul, who understood and would eventually become the great apostle, God sent Paul underneath someone who wasn't near his stature. And he stayed there as best as we can figure out for years. Now, I know we think we we turn a chapter in the Bible and it's next week. But that's not how it works all the time. This was years. So think about this. Paul had to be under Ananias, who who was less of a man than he was, in order, why would God do that when Paul probably knew more than Ananias? Why would God do that? It's because even though he knew more, He couldn't function with God's blessing unless he was broken to the place he understood God's authority. It is impossible for us to say, I reject delegated authority and I'm only obedient directly to God. In most cases when I've heard that, I've heard people say that for years. You know, I hear Jesus and I only obey Jesus and no man can tell me anything. And normally when I hear that, I find a lawless person who blows here and there and everywhere. They're tumbleweed. Because they never get planted. Nobody can input their life. You know, the Bible says it's the tree that's planted by the river that flourishes, and it blooms, and it blossoms. Until you get planted, until you get under authority, until you get into a relationship when someone can look you in the eye, and I don't mean abuse you or use you, but find... Find someone that can look you in the eye who wants good things for your life. I mean, you're going to find yourself exponentially going forward. But I just tell you through the years when I have found people who have said, all I do, I just listen to just me and Jesus and and okay, it's cool. I serve Jesus too. I hear Jesus too. I I believe in the priesthood of all believers. I believe that everybody in this room can go to Jesus themselves. I'm not your priest. Are you following me? I believe that. I'll even say this, some of you in this room may be more spiritual than me. But saying that does not reverse God's authority in the earth. In most cases, a lawless person seeks to spiritually justify their inner lawlessness and rebellion by saying, well, God told me this. You better be real careful. Whenever we start throwing out the phrase, God told me, you you, you better handle that as seriously as you can, because I don't stand up and look at you as a congregation and said, God said to me to tell you this and and deal with that flippantly. Because I'm just telling you, God will come haunt me. And truth of the matter is, he'll come get you too. I'm amazed, I listen to folks all the time. They're always, God's talking to them all, God, well, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. Well, great, maybe he did. But are you sure? Or was that just what you thought? and you just put God on it. It's just what I want, so I just put God on it. I don't want to listen to what you have to say, so I'm going to put God on it. And that's why when someone tells me, God said, well, God bless you. Go do it. We're all going to find out, aren't we? We're going to find out. Hallelujah. God bless you. You say, well, that makes me, listen, it ought to. We ought to have a fear of the Lord, there's no fear of the Lord in the earth anymore when you can just drag God's name into anything and everything. I, I would I would respect and I try to do this. I will oftentimes and I think you'll hear me say, I really I feel like the Lord may be saying. I sense the Lord may be saying. I'm I'm real careful. If I come out and you know me, some of you've been with me for years. If I say the Lord told me, you you better you can take it to the bank. I'll die on that one. Now that that doesn't mean I couldn't be wrong still. I'm not saying I'm I'm always right. I'm just simply saying that's, that's the conviction. I'm not going to become so familiar with something and just keep dragging it in and dragging it in. It takes great revelation to see how God himself has committed himself to work through delegated authority. And, uh, and you know, the whole New Testament, of course, stands behind it and deals with it. Let me just share this with you. I think there's just a couple more lessons. I have a, I have a lesson that's entitled a whole lesson we're gonna deal with. What do I do when I have rotten authority? That's the whole lesson. So I'm gonna talk about that. What, what happens when a bad king comes into your life? We're gonna talk about appealing. How do I appeal? How do I communicate? If I have a question, can I not even talk about it? I mean, I'm gonna share with you how the Bible tells us where to approach authority and how we share things in a right spirit. All right, now I'm just not talking you, 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 can, you can obviously apply this to church, but listen to me. Some of you need to hear what I'm about ready to say because it'll get you promoted at your job if you'll just hear what I'm saying. It'll get God to move in your career and open up doors if you'll hear what I'm saying. I, I can tell you, you'll find a place of favor like Daniel did in a Babylonian administration. He found favor. Right now, some of you are working in Babylon. Is that not true? Right now, some of you say, I'm going to go to work in Babylon tomorrow. I know, I know. But God can give you favor there. Yes, he can. Amen. All right, stand with me, please. God bless you. I know it's warm in here. I'm sorry. It's 105 degrees outside, and we just are doing the best we know how. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you that all around us, you are there. You speak to us in our heart, in our spirit. We know that. And truly, Lord, even as I shared, and I know I wanted to put the fear and the reverence of God into your people, but, Lord, it is true, you do speak to us. And there are times God has spoken, and we know that to be true, and I thank you for that. Thank you for your word, which is always available and can so clearly begin to declare your voice and your will and your heart in matters. But Lord, I'm praying right now that great revelation would come to your people. Lord, this isn't about just what helps me as a pastor. Lord, this is about what helps them in everyday ordinary life, everywhere they go. I want your people to be blessed and I want them to see your hand. I want them to be favored. I want them to, to have doors open to them. I want opportunities to come their direction. Lord, give them great revelation, I pray, that they somehow, way can see your hand even in the most challenging of situations. Romans 8, 28 says that God will cause all things to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to a purpose. So Lord, even the one who is here tonight who might be in one of the most challenging situations they've ever been in, maybe they're being unjustly, unfairly used in a work situation, maybe relationally, I don't know. But, Lord, somehow, some way, help them receive great revelation at this moment that something is going on here beyond what they can just see in the natural. Help them to handle these moments well. I believe it could be their moment that, Lord, they won't be destroyed, but you could literally lift them up into a place of prominence and favor. So, Lord, give them, again, great revelation. Lord, we love you. You're working on us, and you're really helping us see some things that we can reflect you better. So bless your folks, Lord, as we go our separate ways. Lord, in the next two weeks, just do great things in their life as they get a break. Lord, help them know we love them. God, you love them. And I just speak a blessing over each one in Jesus' name. And we all said amen.